You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. God bless you. Good to see each and every one of you. You may be seated. Take, uh, turn with me in your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Samuel. And as you're turning there, I want to welcome you this evening. We're so excited that you are here with us. We are in part three of our relationship series, 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel 6. And as you're turning there, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time together. Thank you so much for being here in our service. Let's ask the Lord to move in the time that we have together. Grace, Heavenly Father, we love you. God, the only words that can cross our lips right now in this moment is you are worthy. And the fact that we get to come into your presence astounds me. The reality that you tell us to boldly come into your presence. When you remind us through the psalmist where he said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? God, you are worthy And as we sing those words, may it not just be words that cross our lips, but may it be the true cry of our hearts. I pray now in these next few minutes that we have together, I pray that you would work in a miraculous way in the marriages, in the relationships represented here. Father, there are burdens and there are joys and there are setbacks that all are in this room tonight. And I pray, Father, that you would meet the needs that I can't. I pray that your word would speak life and it would speak truth. And I pray that you would receive all the glory for you are worthy. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. I love that. Thank you so much, worship team, for just a powerful moment of worship. So amazing to just step into that moment and just to think about the worthiness of God. It's a true privilege to just get to sing about him. But I'm glad you're here. We're in a series entitled Relationship Goals, and we're studying about marriages very specifically. And I know that there are people in the room, you say, well, we're dating or we're engaged, and that's wonderful. I'm happy for you. I'm excited for you. Uh, We want to cheer you on. But specifically, we want to help marriages. You say, why are you so big on marriages? Because I believe today what you are seeing with all these little subgroups and why people today are turning to other groups is because they have never seen what God's word says, how good and godly and great marriages can truly be. And so tonight, our children's pastor has done, uh, given us a great gift. All the children are allowed to go into Ridge Kids. So uh, basically, there's nothing holding me back tonight, okay? There's no kids. Now, if you brought your kids, that's on you uh, after this point, okay? So the awkward car ride home explaining stuff, that's on you, okay? We sent you an email. We said we have Ridge Kids. So if you want a quick duck run for cover, now is your uh, this, that was your trigger warning, okay? All right, you, you got your trigger warning. Uh, Rich Kids is available. It's, it's there for you, but we're gonna dive into God's word, and I hope it's a help. I, I specifically want to see in today's day and age, I wanna see strong marriages, because you are seeing the LGBTQ movement 
on the rise. And I talked with somebody who's out of that movement, and he said, today, young people look at trans as if it's like getting a tattoo. That's how they, they, they see it on the same. It's like, oh, it's kind of the cool hip thing to do. And it's because they have not seen the fact that there can be strong, godly marriages that everybody else looks at and just thinks, man, I want that. Uh, Jane and I, over the summer, we went to Zion National Park. And we were hiking the Narrows. If anybody's gone to Zion National Park, it's the hike that's through the creek and you got the canyon walls. And it was a pretty tough hike. I mean, we got up really early at 4 a.m. We left on the hike. We didn't get back until 5 or 6. And it was just a grueling, hot hike. But we were miles in this canyon. And there was another couple that was actually ahead of us and doing better than us. And they were... I'm being gracious. They were old, all right? Like, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, put down old people. I was just like, babe, they are putting us to shame. Like, I don't know what they have in their uh, canteens, but I want some, okay? Just, like, whatever they've got. And then we started chatting with them because I was like, I just, uh, I, I love, I wanted to talk to them. I'm just like, and then they told me, they said, we made a promise to each other that we would always come back and do this hike. And uh, every year we come back, and we've been doing it for 20, 30 years, and we do this hike. And I was like, y'all are nuts, but that's, good. That's, that's amazing. And then it just stepped back that Jane was like, so 30 years from now, you're going to take me on this hike? And I was like, babe, if they have hover wheelchairs, you know, like Xavier, yes, I will take you on this hike. I'd be glad to. But to do this at their age, I was like, man, and no cell service? I was like, I don't know if I'll be in that great a shape, but I was impressed and I was impressed more by their relationship because I've seen it and you've seen it. People that have been married 20, 30 years, they're at the restaurant outdoors with their mask on with a little slot that they eat through the slot nowadays and whatnot. And uh, they're sitting there and they're both on their devices, not talking to each other. They're just there and uh, on their devices. And just, you can tell the intimacy has died. And I think today, young people and, and people now see relationships like that and say, no, I'm not interested. I want a life-giving, a life-fulfilling relationship, and that is exactly what God's plan is. And so we're going to study that tonight. You got your Bibles to uh, 2 Samuel. And as I was praying over this message, I was asking God for one thing specifically, and this is what I was praying for each and every person. I was praying that God would give each and every one of you new passion for the same person. That's what I'm praying. That God would give you new passion for that same person. Because what happens every year over marriage, things become routine. It's like, oh, I know this person. I know their habits. I know their high moments and low moments. I know, I, I just know them inside out. And we can lose the passion for that person. So I'm praying specifically that God would give you new passion, but for the same person. So with your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel. Let's begin reading, if we can, verse number 16. And this is going to be a little bit heavier of a message. It's going to be weighty. And just because of the text, and just because of who we're going to study. And let's begin reading verse 16. It says, Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Mishal, or Michael, however you want to pronounce it, Saul's daughter looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Talk about a loaded verse. Any of you that are familiar with the Bible and familiar with Scripture, you read this verse and you kind of have a little context. But if you're not familiar with the Bible and you're not familiar with this, you may be like, well, 
what's this verse? Why should you despise him? Let's keep reading. Skip down, if you would, to verse 19. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Mishal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Mishal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as to the maidens of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Mishal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I've entitled this message, COVID Couples. Because during COVID, we've all experienced different emotions. COVID has been difficult. It's been tough. It's put us together for extended periods of time. It used to be that the other one would go off to work. Now, work is at the kitchen table. It's in the den. It's in the dining room. It's somewhere else. That's where work is. And while many couples sheltered in place, we need to look at what took place. Because that's what we're finding today, is we're finding that COVID couples are discovering secrets and not developing strengths. They're discovering hidden things. There's been more divorce. There's been more separations during the last 12 months than at any other time. So you're seeing unprecedented rates of separation, divorce, scandals, all because of COVID. Now, not directly related, but in the sense of this has put us in difficult circumstances. You say, how does that apply to what we're reading here? It applies because Michael, or Michal, is David's first wife and also his worst wife. And it's a heavy passage because we're just going to dive into it. We're going to reverse engineer this because we all start better than we end, don't we? Any of you like to run? Any runners here? I'm jealous of all the people that are fit because I could start a race and I could start with some momentum. I could start with some energy. But by the third or fourth lap, as we are approaching the one-mile mark, I'm out of gas. I'm, I'm, I'm beat. And Jane and I, we just crossed 12 years of marriage. And when I look back at that, I'm like, man, it's, it just flew by because of how wonderful a wife she is. And, and it's like, wow, what a gift she is. But there were some days that it was like, oh, my goodness. I know she's blessed to have me, but I don't know, God, what did I do to deserve? <laughs> don't say it. You're like, mm, don't, you got to go home with her. Yeah. But there's those thoughts that cross our minds. There are those moments when you're thinking, God, what, what happened? This was a happy relationship. When we said our vows, we were the happiest people in the world. I mean, look at our pictures. Look at how happy we were in our pictures. Because we start better than we end. And here is the end of their relationship is what we're catching. And we even saw the very end, verse 23. Mishal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death, which means David and her never were intimate, never together anymore. It was the end of their relationship. So we caught the end. We caught the melting down of the marriage. 
And some of you, you've said, I've been there. I remember the moment where we just knew it was done. It was over. And so what do we do? Well, I want you to see, and please write this down, that bitterness is a cover. Because in verse 16, it says she despised her husband. You know, the, the word despise simply means to undervalue. She undervalued David. Now, context, David has just united the kingdom. David is the one who slew a giant. David is the one that just brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. This is David's crowning achievement, his great moment. And when you get the promotion, when you land the job, when you get that major breakthrough or you get that contract, in that moment, it's the happiest moment. And who do you want to celebrate it with? The people closest to you. And we even see in this passage, the Bible even tells us in verse 20, then David returned to bless his household. So here's David. He's had the best day of his entire life and he is skipping home. He is doing the whole little, clicking his heels together. He is so happy. And what does he meet? Michelle. And many of us are kind of like, why is she so upset? She's married to David. David's got a great voice. The Bible even talks about that David was very handsome. He was very good looking. The Bible even talks about, here's the man that, that, that everybody would sing his praises. Shouldn't she be happy? But just like an iceberg. What you see on the surface is not all there is. And there's a whole lot under the surface, just like your marriage and my marriage, just like your relationship and my marriage and my relationship. There's so much that we, we have hidden under the waterline. And there's only so much we allow other people to see. And here we're getting a glimpse of what happened in Michal's life. And bitterness is that cover. You see, she despised David. But why would she despise David? And her bitterness is manifesting through belittling the king. She even talks about the king in third person. Why does the king of Israel behave himself this way? She won't even call him King David. Talks about him in the third person. I've noticed something, and and any other parents in this room, or any dads in this room, when, when your kids are acting up, does your spouse say, hey, your kids, my dog's been running away. So, hey, your dog ran away. I thought it was ours. I mean, I, I, I specifically remember we both going to the pound and adopting. I think, I think both our signatures are there. Uh, we both at the hospital, but maybe it's, just, maybe it's just one of those moments, right? But here in the third person, she's belittling. And you know why? Because when a woman doesn't feel love, she reacts without respect. When a woman doesn't feel loved, she reacts without respect. And there's a great book, His Needs, Her Needs. And a man's greatest needs, I know some of you are like, I know it, it's super easy, it's intimacy. That's all he needs. I, he just needs to see his wife in a nightgown and then every, everything. No, no, it's actually respect. What a guy really wants is respect. But when a woman does not feel loved, she doesn't give respect. And with a man, without a man receiving respect, he reacts without love. So David's reaction to her, did you see it? He even says, hey, God chose me over your dad and his family. That included her. What is he doing? He's putting her down. 
And then later we'll even see that he's even going to remind her of what kind of dowry he paid for her. As if to say, hey, let's put you in, in your place. You were actually a piece of property that I actually purchased. This is all going to come out in the text. And it may be something where it's going to bring up some emotions because it's, it's difficult. You see, a, a woman needs love apart from her looks. But what has our culture and our society done? You're only as valuable as you are visible. How much of you are you letting other people see? And so today, a woman's value is based on what people say is visible. And yet, that's, a, a woman wants to be loved not just for her looks. And not only that, a man, when it comes to a man, a man needs praise apart from his performance. David's coming home, and this is an intense moment, a joy-filled moment. He just wanted to hear, hey, great job. But it's like any day. You come home, and you're, you're, you're having a good day, and, and then you open the door, and all of a sudden, the, the battle has begun at home. And so we see that bitterness is just the cover. There's so much more under the surface, but brokenness is actually the cause. You see, bitterness is always a cover, but brokenness is ultimately the cause of all of this. Can we go back to 1 Samuel 18 and do a little bit of a Bible study for a minute? This is where we meet Mishal. 1 Samuel 18, verse 20 says, Now Mishal, Saul's daughter, loved David. Isn't that interesting? Where we started this afternoon was she despised David, but where we meet Michelle, it says that she loved David. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is the only time in the entire New Testament, Old Testament, entire, only time in the entire Bible where it says a woman loved her husband. There's nowhere else. Scripture is not making any accidents. There, scripture is very intentional. So it's leading us to believe that when it says that she despised her husband, despised David, something happened. You see, sometimes someone in a marriage can say, I just don't know what happened. She one day just snapped and left me. He one day just snapped and left me. No, 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 no. That's not how it happens. There's something going on under the surface. And it's brokenness is the cause. You say, well, what broke? Let's keep reading. It says, now Mishal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. You see, this is the first part of brokenness that Mishal is going to experience. Mishal loves David wants to be in a great relationship with him. But what does Saul see? An opportunity to use his daughter as bait. Bait for what? Because there's a dowry price. You say, what's the dowry price? The dowry price is that David was gonna go and have to slay some Philistines. And a little bit graphic here, and bring back Saul, a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And that was gonna be the bride price. But what Saul is hoping will happen is that David will be killed in battle. That's why Saul is saying, I hope this will be a snare to David. This is how I can get rid of David. So here's somebody that should be protecting his daughter, is using his daughter for her own gains. You see where the brokenness can start to come in? You see where maybe you can look at your spouse and say, oh man, maybe now I understand some of the brokenness, some of the heartache, some of the pain. 
And so we've seen just a snapshot, but let's keep reading. It, it goes on. Let's keep studying this character. 1 Samuel 19. The Bible says that Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him. And in the morning, but Michael goes to David, it says, and told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers back to see David, saying, bring him up to me in a bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with the cover of goat's hair to, the, to his head. Then Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? All right, let me just unpack this for a little bit. And this message is going to take me a little bit, so just track with me, okay? Uh, just, I know it's 5.30 on a Sunday afternoon, a beautiful day, but I need you to track with me. We're going to go somewhere with this. Here we see Michelle. It says she loved David, but now you are seeing her take it to the next level, how much she loves David. She is also protecting David from her own father, which is what a great spouse does. Uh, you say, well, nobody's coming to kill me. Sometimes our spouse protects us from bad influences, bad business deals, bad things. It's important to look, listen to our spouse because David would have died if he hadn't have listened to Michal. So yes, we see later on where we started, she despised him, but originally that's not how it started. She loves him, she protects him, but then also notice what she does. She lets him escape. Why doesn't Michal escape with him? She stays and sacrifices so she can buy David more time. She makes a little image. She puts it in the bed. I mean, this is stuff we used to do when we were little kids, trying to get out of school or going out of bed. She, she concocts this little uh, uh, mannequin of David, and the soldiers buy it. They're like, oh, that's David. He's sleeping. His hair looks kind of funny. It, it kind of looks more like a goat, but okay, whatever. And they go back and tell Saul, hey, your son-in-law, he's sick. We can't go and get him. And he's like, Saul tells him, I don't care. Just bring him in the whole bed. Because of Michal's actions, she bought David more time to get out of the city, to get as far from Saul as she possibly could. Here's a woman who loves him, protects him, and sacrifices for him. But then notice, she goes on. She chose loyalty over royalty. She was loyal to David, not to her own father, which is the most biblical thing for a spouse. What does scripture say to do? To leave father and mother and to cleave unto your spouse. Today, what messes up a lot of marriages, you'll see this, is the mother-in-law speaking to the son and saying bad things about the daughter-in-law or vice versa. It'll be the daughter talking to her mother and saying bad things about the husband. So many relationships are destroyed because of in-laws and what they know about the marriage. I understand where you say, well, we're just really close. But if you are berating your spouse with your parents, you are dividing your own marriage. It is not in your best interest to gossip about your own spouse. I'm telling you, that will come back to haunt you. It'll come back to bite you. It'll come back to ruin the relationship. So here she is following the biblical model. Michelle is an amazing woman. Look at what she's done for David. You say, well, then how come she despises him? 
Let's keep going. At the end of verse 17, something interesting. Because Saul asked Michal, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he escaped? And Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Is she telling the truth or is she telling a lie here? She's telling a lie. And this is the beginning of the brokenness. It's sad because she told her father, hey, I I was afraid for my life. Now, in her mind, she's thinking, hey, I had to think of something. It was the best lie I could come up with. But now Saul moves into a different mode. I am not just after my enemy because he's after my position. I'm after my enemy because he threatened my daughter. Do you see now why Saul was so intent on going after David? I think sometimes we don't notice these little details in the Bible. These little things that just kind of pass on by. Can I say this? You don't build a life of righteousness in the future on a foundation of sin today. She started with one little lie. It's a little lie, but we're going to see how this lie is going to influence the rest of her relationship with David. Because after this moment, she does not see David for 14 years. That's why I call it a COVID couple. They were practicing social distancing. And shame on you if you're practicing social distancing. Shame on you if you're saying, hey, I don't, I don't know. You, got, you, got, you gotten vaxxed yet? You got, you, you, hey, are you negative your test? I, I'm not really feeling, I'm not really in the mood, you know? Can you wear a mask, you know? I mean, no, it's, it, it, it's getting crazy out there. You see, David would not see her. So while many couples have sheltered in place, the relationship, mark this down, never stays in place. Your relationship is dynamic. It's not static. It's always moving. It's always moving to a better place or a worse place. But you need to understand the relationship is moving. Here's my question. David doesn't see Michal for 14 years. Why doesn't David, throughout his whole journey in the wilderness, ever call for Michal? Why doesn't he say, hey, I'm in the cave of Agilom. Come, Come to me. He doesn't do that. You say, well, David was afraid of a life in the wilderness. What kind of life is that for a woman? What kind of life is that? We, he, David loved Michal. I mean, come on. He was willing to go after not just 100 Philistines. He actually kills 200 Philistines for Michal. So David just didn't want to endanger her life. I thought that was what David thought as well until I studied the Bible. Let's continue reading 1 Samuel chapter 25. The Bible says this, verse 40. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Wait a minute. David, what? You have a wife. Let's continue reading. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servant of my Lord. So Abigail arose in haste, rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Verse 43. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. What's David doing? What about Michal? The one who loved you, who was loyal to you, protected you, sacrificed you, lied to her father for you. What are you doing? So it's not that he's just in the wilderness and, oh, I just, I, I, I'm afraid for her, so I'm not going to bring her. It's dangerous. No, he's obviously okay with that because he marries two other women. But notice something, 
And I don't think anything's by accident in the scripture. Notice verse 44 of the same passage. But Saul had given Mishal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Do you think there's a connection? That the moment she hears, oh, so David's fine. He's, he's moved on from me. He's found another person. All right, hey, Dad, find me somebody else. Please write that down. Hurting people hurt people. When you are hurt in the relationship, even though there's someone in that relationship that you made a covenant with, you want to hurt them back. And, and you don't even know why you're doing it. You don't know why you're saying it. But in a marriage covenant relationship, you both know how to say the, oh, the most painful things, most hurtful things. Could it be that that's what happened here? You see, David's feelings reveal a lack of feelings. He, he, he hasn't called for her. He hasn't in this moment said, hey, I've got another wife. Let's, let's, let's go and get her. No, he doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, the moment that David does finally realize, oh, yeah, 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 I'm married to Michal, is later on in 2 Samuel chapter 3, the Bible says, so David sent messengers to Isbosheth, Saul's son, saying, give me my wife Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. David sounds exactly like Saul now. Hey, I bought her. She's property to me. And now that I'm going to come in and unite the kingdom, that's going to look really good that I'm married to the king's daughter to solidify my rule and reign. You say, how did Michal go to the point where she despised David? Are you getting a little bit better picture of how she could come to that conclusion? David is not acting like the man after God's own heart. He's not acting like a loving husband who would sacrifice and lay down his life for his wife. He's acting very self-centered. You see, Michal was used, misused, reused, and she was ultimately, we see, abused. You see, desire will get you guys into a relationship, but only discipline will keep you in it. Because today, desire is everywhere. I mean, people will tell me, oh, I, I saw this person. There was a spark of interest. Man, we, we're, we're attracted to one another. That's called desire. Desire will get you into that relationship, but only discipline will keep you in it. And I know discipline is not glamorous. It's not sexy, but that's what's lacking in a lot of relationships today. Because I see people that they say, oh, we're just not compatible anymore, or we just don't get along, we just don't see things the same way. Guess what? You drifted apart. There should have been some discipline to say, I need to check in on this. Today I read in Proverbs that we are supposed to look over our own household, that we're, we're over it. And Proverbs is all about wisdom. It's all about taking in, 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 in looking at our household and saying, hey, what is going on? In all the business in the Silicon Valley, do you ever stop and say, hey, how's my relationship with my spouse doing? Have you ever stopped and said, hey, how are you doing? Because if you're not doing it, there is somebody out there that is. Your wife goes off to that job and you say, well, it's COVID. They go off to the Zoom meeting. There is somebody in the Zoom meeting that says, hey, how are you? And locks eyes with her. And all of a sudden, there's a connection that she's not getting from her husband. All of a sudden, there's that secretary, a little bit too cute, a little bit too flirty, and it's been a while, and he's feeling alone, he's feeling vulnerable, and all of a sudden, he's feeling like, oh, somebody's showing me some interest. 
and the relationship starts to drift. The imagination starts to wander. And all of a sudden, one day they wake up and say, oh man, we just weren't compatible. No, you didn't have the discipline that was needed to say, you know what? We are gonna love each other. We're gonna work on our marriage. I'm gonna sacrifice and I'm gonna make sure that I'm investing into this relationship. And you do what you've gotta do to invest into the relationship. You can find out ways to say, what is my spouse like? The entire time that Jane and I were at, at, on the island, I just tried to keep asking questions. You say, well, you've been married for 12 years. You've known her for 16 years. Why are you asking her questions? Because she's grown and changed. Things have happened. There's likes and dislikes. There's things that she doesn't like anymore. There's new things. There's new dreams. There's new goals. And guess what? I don't want to one day be like, oh, that, that, that was it? I don't want to one day wake up and be like, well, I didn't know you wanted to do that. I didn't know you had that desire. No, it's my responsibility to take and to be disciplined to say, oh, I love my spouse. It's my responsibility to say, hey, date night, we're putting it on the calendar. Hey, all these things that matter to build the relationship, we're going to make sure we do it. It goes without saying. People that work out, they're just disciplined, right? And we all know, oh, well, we should work out, we should eat healthy, but it just takes discipline. Same for a happy marriage, a healthy marriage, a wholesome marriage. It just takes some discipline. And here's what I know. We don't want to be disciplined in the relationship because that's not how it started. Because when you first met them, infatuation was fueling everything. It was butterflies. You just couldn't wait to talk to them for four hours. Now, if you had to talk to your spouse for four hours, some of you are like, you mean it's not like a road trip or anything? Like, talk for four what would we talk about like it used to be easy right now we giggle because it's like well uh dinner four minutes and you're just kind of like well i guess that's it and then what do we actually talk about we talk about the kids we talk about work we talk about church and then we're just like well we've talked about everything we know to talk about so i guess good night nice knowing you friend stranger and then we do the awkward hug because we don't know this person anymore. It used to be easy to be like, hey, babe, what do you want to do? I will, I'll spend my last dime on you. I, whatever it takes, I can't wait to be with this person. You used to just show up at their work to surprise them. You used to just make sure there were flowers somewhere where she would find them. You used to have little prizes and presents that were just ready for that person. You would just lie awake at night just thinking and dreaming of all the cool things you want to do to make that person happy. And now you lie awake just thinking, this person needs to stop snoring. I'm about to kill somebody if he doesn't stop snoring. Man, I'm going to take his mask and shove it down his throat is what I'm about to do. You see, things change in the relationship. Instead, we need to say, where's the discipline? So we said, first of all, bitterness is just a cover. If there's somebody bitter in the relationship, I'm telling you, that's just a cover. Brokenness is the cause. But understand this. Please write this down. Betrayal is never the cure. So they're going to betray their covenant vows. They're going to be a COVID couple. Practice social distancing. And I, I, I at first came to this passage and assumed, well, Michelle is the one who's in the wrong and God cursed her. That's why she was barren. You might find that. You can study that. I did not find that. I will say this, though. The Bible does talk about that she made a covering and put it in the bed. The covering is an Asherah pole, it's an idol. Why does Michal have an idol? Could mean that she didn't worship the same God that her husband David did, which is why David 
could come back and be a man after God's own heart and could write Psalms 51 where it restored me the joy of my salvation. Maybe she just didn't have that relationship. I can see that. But understand here, we see that there's a betrayal. What was the betrayal? The betrayal was that David said, I'm not gonna fix this relationship. It's broken, we're not gonna work on it. And they both just ended it. And that's what we see here. David's coming ready to bless. She's coming ready to blast. And we see there's anger and argument. And then we see ultimately abandonment. And I would love for you to write this down. It's the three A's. This is really practical. We've stepped into a Bible study. Now you've stepped into a seminar with the three A's. Please write this down. First of all, write the word audience down. You say, why? When you approach somebody and it's going to be an intense argument, make sure it's one-on-one. I can't tell you how awkward it gets when you're on an airplane and you're flying and there people are starting to argue. I can't tell you how awkward it is as you're on a boat and you're about to go uh, snorkeling with 40 or 50 other people, but there's one couple that they're going to have an argument. And you're just like, small boat, I'm trying to give you your space. Let's push them over. You know, it's like things get awkward. When you're going to have an argument with your spouse, Say, let's do this one-on-one, not in front of the kids, not in front of the co-workers, not in front of the family. Let's go somewhere. Let's walk and let's work this out. But that's not what they did. The Bible says that Mishal met him at the door of the house and right there, right then, they're going to have it out. Because she's got all this baggage she's never gotten to deal with David on. And David has never hold it up. And David was the constant person to push away problems. He has a problem with Absalom. He has a problem with his daughters. And he just pushes it away, doesn't deal with it. David is constantly pushing away his problems. So you can see David has a track record for doing that. But yet here, Michal is saying, no, we need to deal with this. David refuses to do so. But she handled it wrong in the sense of she didn't think about audience. Hey, real talk, you're going to argue with your spouse. If you're not married, you're engaged, you're dating, you are going to have knock-down, drag-out arguments. What will help is if you do it one-on-one. Because then you can come to church and act like you didn't. I can't tell you how many times I've come to church and we've argued on the way and Jane, by the grace of God, said, you don't know how much of the grace of God it took to actually sit in that church service and look at you. And I'm like, you're an amazing woman. On the way to church, you say, for real? But we come into church and you say, you're hypocrites. No, we got, I got to preach. We got to have church. And we will fix this on the way home. Because the Bible says, let the sun go down in wrath. So I have till about 7.30 when the sun sets to be mad at her. So leave me alone. Not really. But understand that when it comes to arguments, you're going to have them. But the best way to have them is one-on-one. And we know this, but we don't often do this. We'll do this at family gatherings. We'll do it at parties for our coworkers. And we'll make it awkward, tense. So there's the three A's. There's audience. No, the second one, attitude. She says, and, and I got to add this because I think this is kind of the way she said it. How glorious was the king of Israel today? Just a lot of vitriol, a lot of, a lot of saltiness in the way she says it. How glorious were you today? Uncovering yourself. She's basically saying he was dancing naked so the young ladies could see him. That's what she's accusing him. Is that what he did? No. He was wearing a linen ephod which isn't much clothing but he's not dancing naked to attract the single ladies and that's what she's accusing of him you know what i also find in arguments we say unkind untrue things to the other person we know they're untrue and we just pour it on 
we just, man, we haven't addressed this. We haven't addressed that. Some people say they get hysterical. Others say they get historical because they bring up, remember that one thing in 1992 and you said this and you didn't like this and, and remember that? And you're thinking, what, what does 1992 have to do with 2021? Why are we talking about that now? And so not only do we remember audience, remember attitude, the attitude we approach them, and then also alternatives. Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, unhappy leads to unhealthy. Unhealthy always leads to unholy. David's now going to make an unholy choice. He had a covenant marriage. One woman, one man for one lifetime. And he says, nope. We're done. And for the rest of their lives, they no relationship. And I'm afraid some of us, we do that in our heart. We say, nope, I'm done with her. I'm done with him. Just Stop it. And we're just as guilty because Michelle's not innocent and David's not innocent here. And we've, we've, we've gone over the story. But here's the lie, and here's where I want to park the next few minutes that we have together. And here's the lie that I see our culture, our generation, buying hook, line, and seeker. And here's the lie. That we believe the lie that says it's better to lose them than to love them. It's better if I just lose them. And here's why we think that. Here's why we think that lie. Because we think if I lose them, the pain leaves too. And I'm here to tell you, the pain never leaves. You say, that person's out of my life. The pain's gone too. No, it's not. Was it gone in Michelle's life? She was gone for 14 years. Obviously not. Obviously there's pain. But you say, you didn't see him on his gram. I stalked him on his Facebook account. I opened a fake account with a fake name, so he friended me, and now I can see it. He looks so happy, and he looks like he's having a good time. Do you know how fake that is? Do you know that that is not reality? Do you know that they're miserable, and they may try to put up a front like they're happy, but they are not. But yet today's culture thinks that if I get rid of you, then guess what? The pain leaves me as well. And then they find out when the person's gone, the pain stays. That there was a hole in their heart because they thought, man, I just need to hop from relationship to relationship just to heal this pain. And they don't understand the pain actually started way back here. This is Michal. This is the one that was his first wife and turned out to be his worst wife, but it could have been his best wife because she was sacrificing. She was protecting. She was loyal. There were so many good qualities about this woman. But look how David treated her. We see that at the very best, David's actions are concerning, and at the very worst, David's actions are cruel. This is his wife to say, I'm never going to be with you again. I'm done. That's cruel. To shut a woman down? You know what a woman craves mo more than anything? Guys, we're easy. Women are different. My daughter's in Ridge Kid, so I can say this. She's, she's been in a little bit of a funk, so you know what she needs? She needs me to pick her up like she's a little four-year-old again and swing her around like she was four again. And I swing her around and I throw her up in the air and I catch her and I, and I act like she was four again. Because last night, she leans up in her bed and I come in to pray with her. And I was like, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. 
He's like, uh, well, I don't think so. I think something's wrong. I'm fine. Well, let me pray with you. There is no God. Don't pray. And I was like, oh, something's wrong. I was like, we went to a dark place really quick. Let me see your fingernails. Are they all black? You know? Let me, let, let me see your diary or something. Let's, let's find out. And then what does she need? She needs love. She needs somebody to pick her up and say, guess what? I know you're dysfunctional. I guess I know you're, you're irritated because you got annoying little brothers that always bother you. But guess what? Your daddy's special girl. Favorite in the whole world. And all of a sudden that just changed her. You know, men, our wives need the same thing. You say, pick them up and carry them. Now, this is why I go to the gym, so I, so I can do that. But they just need somebody to just grab them, just say, hey, I know things are crazy. Remember the John Wayne Westerns? Let me, let me date myself. I always used to like those. You know, John Wayne would just grab them and everything and just be like, you know what, you need a good kiss, and he'd kiss them. That doesn't always work, but you know what does? Just a big hug. Just a big hug. Just say, I love you. And we're going to work this out. And we're going to fight through all the pain, all the messiness. We're not going to be a COVID couple. We're going to work through this. Hey, marriage is hard. Would you agree? Marriage is hard. Marriage is very hard. And you're not going to like what I'm about to say next. Marriage is not hard enough. Please write it down. Marriage is hard, but it's not hard enough. It's not hard enough for the divorce rate to be at 50%. It's not hard enough where your man is willing to look at other women. It's not hard enough. It's not hard enough where your woman can go and find relationships with other men and get that emotional fulfillment. It's not hard enough where he feels fine to go and cheat on you, to leave you, to start having a wandering eyes, wandering mind. Apparently, it's not hard enough. It's too easy to break up. You think marriage is too hard. I don't think it's hard enough. Why do we see so many Christians that are just, ah, divorce ain't nothing but a thing. I'll hop from relationship to relationship. Covenant vows, what are covenant vows? Covenant vows, not even a big deal. Do you understand what a covenant was? They would sever an animal in half. They would walk through it and say, if I break my covenant, you can do to me what we just did to that animal. That's what a covenant is. But in church, we walk down an aisle, we get a beautiful white dress, we get an expensive tuxedo, we get a cake, a tuxedo, we say vows, apparently we don't care about. We ask a minister to come down and officiate. Apparently the Bible that he holds, that he reads out of, means jack diddly squat because marriage to us is really easy to get in and out of. It's not hard enough these days. It's too hard to treat it lightly. It's too hard to hop from relationship to relationship. It's too hard to disrespect our wife. It's, too, uh, it's actually too easy to disrespect our wife. It's too easy to disrespect our husband today. We, we, we've gone from a nation that used to say, you know what, the home and the marriage is sacred, to now it's a laughing thing. It's a joke today. Marriage isn't, easy, isn't hard. It's not hard enough. You have not put enough safeguards to say, I've value this marriage. I will fight for this marriage. I will lay down my life for this marriage. That's what a covenant marriage is. That's what a marriage that some woman, some man says, that's what I want. I want a woman that I would die for. And I want a woman that would be loyal like Michelle that says, hey, you need to escape. I'm going to protect you. That's what we want. But that's not what we see today. Today, we see some mamby-pamby, gross, disgusting, weak marriages. Where, oh, we had a little fight, so we ain't going to church. Are you kidding me? For real. Can I tell you how many times she and I fought, and I was the pastor who had to preach? 
You know how hard that is? What if you all showed up one Sunday and you're looking at Jane? Hey, where's the preacher at? Well, we had a fight. He stayed home. You'd be like, what kind of man is that? But you get to do it. Oh, it got too real? Did it get too real? I'm sorry. How about your marriage has not gotten hard enough? Let's make it a little bit harder. Let's raise the bar in our relationships. How about you do a little bit of work to say, you know what? I'm going to be an emotionally intelligent man who doesn't disrespect my wife, who actually treats her like a daughter of the king and respect her and say, you are a woman of value. Do you not understand the order of the Genesis creation? Woman is the crowning creation. You see creation start from the lowest form to ascending order of sophistication. God's crowning creation is a woman, unpredictable, all over the place, and yet we love them. They're crazy, they drive us nuts. But man, we love them. I was driving the other day, we were looking at a volcano, and they said, why do we call it Mother Earth or Mother Nature? Because it's a woman. It's all over the place. You don't know. You don't know what to do with it. You just love it. It's all you can do. But yet we get into the church, and we're like, oh, past my marriage. This is kind of getting hard. Yeah, it's hard. What are you going to do about it? You're going to walk away? That's easy. That's cheap stuff. If you want to be part of this church, I have no patience for a man that's going to walk out on their marriage. None. You say, well, she did this. She did that. Jesus Christ died on a cross and said, I lay down my life for you. And he sets the example for what a man should do. We lay down our life for them. You say, I don't know. There's a great book. I'd love for you to read it. It's called The Love Dare. And it's, it's where you say, I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to love this person and I'm just going to keep doing it and keep doing it. Because that woman is just like Michelle. They started off great. Who messed them up? You and I did. And that's what we need to realize. If our wife is acting up and they're out of sorts, it's our fault as men, as the leaders. If we will be the honoring men, the Christ-honoring men of the word, men that say, you know what, God, help me to be a moral man. Help me to be a man that gets in this word, gets in a life group, and understands what I'm called to be, and understands that I'm supposed to lead her, to love her, to protect her. All of a sudden, guess what she does? She says, I can respect that. I can follow that. I can protect that. But you say, well, I got a woman. She gives me all kinds of attitude, all kinds of grief. Maybe she just doesn't feel like you would lay down your life and protect her. I mean, you tear her down to your family all the time. You won't, you won't even protect her reputation around your family. You see, David here, he had a moment to fix it. He even had the good intention, I'm going to bless my family. They don't want bread. What they want is that love and that forgiveness to heal the relationship. To say, this means more. You say, but pastor, you don't understand how hard it is. Please write this down. You can't stop what you didn't start. You say, what does that mean? Matthew 19. So they no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God joined you together. You think you did that? I'm sorry, sir. You guys are great, you're brilliant, but none of you are that bright to get the woman that you got. That was God. 
And after the service, you can kneel by this altar and just say, God, I'm just saying thank you for that woman. That's, that's it, thank you. Uh-huh. And here's an extra little bit in the plate just to say thank you, all right? We need a building, y'all. So understand that we need to say, Lord, look at how amazing this person is. And God, you brought this together. But we let little things become big threats. You see, stop hoping your spouse will act better when you and I need to ask God to help us react better. Just to react better. David had a moment where he could have totally been different, but David's problem was he was closed-hearted, not open-hearted to his spouse. Michelle needed to get some things off her chest. She needed to work through the last, what was the last 14 years, David? You only wanted me back to solidify your throne. Do you know David was king for seven years of one kingdom? He didn't call for Michal during that time. It wasn't until the kingdom was united that now he calls for her. Excuse me, David, what kind of man are you? You were a king, but now it's, you've got the united kingdom. Now you're calling for Michal because you want to solidify your throne. This is, this is not love. This is not love. I think anybody who's married for a while, you know that you have done things in your relationship, in your marriage that you know aren't love, it's self-serving. And it's the death of our relationships. But it's time we say to our spouse, hey, I've wronged you. I want forgiveness. I want a relationship to go to a better place, not a bitter place. And if you find bitterness in your relationship, I'm telling you, that is only the cover. You say, well, that woman is so bitter, so difficult. That's only the cover. Brokenness is the cause. But betrayal is not the answer. It's never a good cure. And don't believe the lie today that says, if you leave them, the pain leaves you. Because I guarantee you, I've counseled way too many couples, that the pain is still there. You and I are still hurt by the first relationship that broke up with us. Remember your first boyfriend, your first girlfriend? You still remember that hurt. I remember it. I was devastated. We were camp sweethearts. And I called her up. Hey, you want to be my, my girlfriend? It's a girl from Missouri. She's like, no, we don't even know each other. I hate you. Click. You know, it's like, we didn't, what was I expecting? Broke my heart. No but yet we still remember it. And you think, oh, the pain of a marriage, oh, I'll get over that. No. You say, what do we do with the message like this as we wrap up? We say, Lord, help me. When marriage gets hard, help me to remember I, I need to make it hard for this woman to ever want to leave me, to make it hard for this man to ever want to leave me. Let me make it hard for them to ever find anybody else that will talk to them and, and get personal with them to know their desires, their likes. Let nobody be better at knowing them and loving them than me. There's great joy you just sit back. You say, well, we got kids and it's COVID, and it's difficult. We're all in that same boat, but you and I, we can figure it out. You say, well, we gotta, we gotta do a co-op on dating. Yeah, maybe you call a couple couples and you say, hey, let's all share the load of childcare so we can get our date nights in. You can do this. This is why life group is so important. Get into a life group. I wished, I studied scripture, and I wish that there was some redeeming light to Michal. But I want you to notice one final thing in this whole scripture. 
Verse 23 says this, Therefore, Mishal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. It doesn't even say it's the wife of David. She goes back to being the daughter of Saul. In Scripture, it lists out all of David's wives. There were quite a few. That's how bad and deep the betrayal went. Scripture just said, nope, you are now the, Saul, the daughter of Saul. Whose doing was that? We, we don't know. Was it David? Was it her? Was it mutual? There's a lot of pain. With every head bowed and every eye closed, can we stand? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. It's a heavy message. I was looking for some redemptive light at the end of the tunnel, but then I realized that this is actually a very real relationship. That if you're looking for the light at the end of the tunnel, you're not going to have to, you can't look inward. You're going to have to look upward. You're going to have to say, God, I don't see a light, so you're going to have to show me a light. God, I don't see a way, but I know there is a way. And so, God, I, I, I don't want to let bitterness become this cover for our relationship that divides us and that separates us. And now we're in two beds and two rooms and two lives. And we're, we're just functional friends. But I want a life-giving relationship. I want something that, that means something. David had every opportunity for 14 years to correct this relationship. And for whatever reason, we know not, he doesn't. So like I said, David, at the very best... His actions are concerning, and at the very worst, his actions are cruel. So you and I, maybe a little self-inventory tonight. How have we been during COVID? I know we're all on edge. We're all working harder. We're all more agitated. Who's bearing the brunt of that? Is your spouse? Boyfriend? Girlfriend? Who's the one that's gotten you to just feel like ah, what's the point of God and help in our relationship it's 50-50 anyway the only light I could find was the fact that David always came back to God that was it Michal we don't see that she does but David we know he does and maybe that's where God's calling you he's saying hey come back to me I'll work on the relationship I will fix it I will pour my love into it and I will give you the capacity to pour into your spouse I will give you the capacity to love the unlovable maybe that's what God's calling you to so you say pastor tonight would you pray for me my marriage needs some help it needs some prayer is that you would you slip up a hand can I pray for you nobody's looking around amen I see your those hands God bless you thank you for your honesty God bless you you may put your hands down I'm gonna pray for you, but then we're gonna open this altar and I would invite you to come forward and maybe you say, hey, I'm gonna pray with my spouse. You can either pray right down here in front of this altar or you can pray right there in your seat. But the first step that I find that helps couples is when they start praying together. And I'm gonna give you a little homework assignment and your homework assignment is now every night before you go to bed, you start praying for 30 seconds with your spouse. Just 30 seconds and hold hands or touch feet, whatever you do. But you say, hey, we're going to pray together at night. Now, if you're dating and you say, hey, our, our relationship is struggling, I want you to find an older couple that's made it 20, 30 years. I don't want you to ask them questions. I want you to pay them and say, hey, let me buy you dinner so we can talk and I can learn from you. 
But let me pray for those hands right now. Heavenly Father, the range of emotions that can be expressed and felt when we talk about marriage and relationships, it can be tough. Because many of us have either been through a divorce, affected by a divorce, we've been through a breakup and been affected by a breakup, or we're in the middle of a divorce or a breakup. We're in the midst of all the pain, and we look at David and Michael, we look at the rawness of the emotions. We look at how she went from loving David to despising David, and we can relate. So, Father, right now, we lift up our broken hearts to you. We lift up our our weak emotions, and we lift up the fact that we haven't been our best. And we say, God, help us. Help us to love as you loved. Help us to give as you gave. Father, because if you don't help us, we don't have the strength to continue. So we lift our hands. In humility, we cry out to our Father and say, God, help us. You see these relationships. You see these marriages. God, would you pour out your love and favor and grace? Right now, we're going to continue to worship with heads bowed and eyes closed. And as we do, I'm going to invite you to the front of the altar if you want to pray as we worship this last, during this last song. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.